Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and hi and howdy and hello. I am Renata Price and welcome to My Turn, the internet's premier movie podcast about tangentially related films held together by a near incomprehensible game of cinematic telephone. Every number of weeks, one of us picks a movie that is loosely related to whatever previous movie we watched. This week, it's your turn, and we're following the dark, horror-tinged trail of madness and gross bodily fluids from The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel, to The Lighthouse, starring Robert Pattinson, opposite Willem Dafoe. Joining me, as always, is our salty sea captain, Rob Zachney. Hello, hello. Logging camp foreman, Patrick Klepek. Cinematic telephone would be a good... Log, log, that, log that one away. That's a good name for a podcast. <laughs> Got you. And finally, our beloved producer with a seagull-esque hiccup, Ricardo Contreras. Well, do you remember what happened <laughs> to that seagull, Cato? Cato, do you want to channel that energy? Do you want to try that one no. again, Cato? <clears throat> Did you know that actually, um, not many people know this, but um, mm. a lot of... Uh, a lot of Kados actually have the souls of sailors who never yeah. made it home yeah, uh, this stored is why inside you, of them. This is why you can't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> They're just a little guy, and you just cannot dash guy. them upon the rocks, or you will bring a storm upon yourself. <sighs> Sometimes you have to take risks in life, though, and just see where it takes you. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, this week we watched The Lighthouse, a uh, film by, uh, I believe, Roger Eggers, um, uh, produced by or released by uh, A24. Is it Eggers. Robert? Fuck. It sounds like you kind of split the difference between Robert and Roger there. It was like Roger. Roger. Eggers. <laughs> Roger. Roger Ebert's uh, spinoff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Robert, mm-hmm. Robert Eggers. I, I Robert thought Eggers. you were about Thank to just you. break Thank my you. brain because I'm a huge fan of like everything he has done. Right. And I was like, oh, shit. I've like, been thinking about this wrong for 10 it's been, years. It's been Roger this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> that, would fit, that, would, that would fit the naming schemes of the various historical adjacent films that mm-hmm. Eggers has done, though. So it actually would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would, it would also how he names his characters, mm-hmm. apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, this week we're watching Lighthouse. And before we jump into our discussion, I will just want to give a very brief, if incomplete, summary of uh, an extremely weird movie. The Lighthouse is a movie about weird little freaks being truly terrible to one another. Those freaks, Thomas Wake and Ephraim Winslow, are played by Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, respectively. Wake is an experienced, demanding, and layabout lighthouse keeper who recently lost his second and has a possessive, almost supernatural connection to the light he tends. Winslow is a solid, brooding newbie who has been assigned to take that second's place. The tour is scheduled to spend four weeks tending a remote lighthouse far from shore, but that schedule is extended by a massive storm, which was potentially caused 
caused by Winslow murdering a seagull in anger. Over the course of an unknown period of time, the two men's relationship constantly shifts from extreme distance to resentment to camaraderie to some broken form of intimacy, before finally deteriorating into murderous resentment. Eventually, Winslow realizes that Wake killed his previous second and that he is trapped on an island alone with a murderer, a realization that Wake also comes to after Winslow admits that he stole his name from a work supervisor who he either murders or allows to die unaided, depending on if you believe his story. Following the worst night of the storm, Winslow discovers that his pay has been docked into oblivion and attempts to murder Wake in a rage. The two men fight, eventually leading to Wake's death and to Winslow being severely wounded. Winslow crawls desperately to see the beacon for the first time firsthand, which opens and whatever is inside leads to Winslow releasing a distorted scream that turns into one of the most upsetting pieces of sound design I've ever encountered. He then falls down the stairs and the film cuts to gulls eating his intestines while he, still living, writhes on the ground. It is a fucked up little movie. And I'm really curious as to uh, everyone's relationships to it. Um, have you, if like you've seen it previously and what your like initial like response to the film was. And I'd like to start with Patrick as a, as a fan of Eggers work. Yeah. I uh, had the pleasure of like being at a Q and a with, with Eggers for uh, mm-hmm. his first film. Um, the Witch, uh, which came out a number of years ago and sort of kicked off. Oh, why, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, the Queen's Gambit. Uh, uh, Anya big, Taylor-Joy? Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy. Big big alien eyes. One of my favorite actors. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, doing. I watch her like in anything. Her face is just utterly compelling. And uh, so I, I can't remember why I ended up seeing this film, uh, or the, the, the Witch originally, but I've just been taken by the way... Uh, Eggers like places history uh, in in his work, not necessarily as a grounding, mm-hmm. but sort of like as a place and a setting to do often fantastic adjacent things. Uh, I think you see that in The Witch, you see it in uh, The Lighthouse, you see it in The Northman, which is <laughs> his next film will break the trilogy of thes uh, in, in in his films. His next one is Nosferatu. Um, which Pattinson was supposed mm. to be in. And he said, I think the vampire thing is a little too close to home <laughs> and, and decided not to be. But Willem Dafoe is going to be in it. it. It will not be. Let's fucking the, go. It's not the vampire. It's not Nosferatu, Damn. but he's in, he's in the film. Damn it. Um, but yeah, I, I have I have always just found Edgar's ability to just make, I can, he's just, a, he's a weird filmmaker. Um, and I, I just love that his movies have a physicality to them. All of his films seem like nightmares to make. And not in the sense that it's a filmmaker biting off like some ambitious storytelling. It seems like the actors themselves go through a physically demanding process that you just don't see in films much anymore. You don't see, like, I'm sure his films, like any film these days, has the aid of visual effects that are working behind the scenes to aid the filmmaking. But there are scenes in this, there are scenes in The Northman, there are scenes in uh, The Witch. The the through line between them is seeing actors doing shit. When, when Willem Dafoe is getting dirt piled onto his face at the end and he is continuing to give his speech, there is just a, a layer to his work that I constantly find myself drawn to that is more than just how it contrasts against how films are made these days with green screens and, and all sorts of visual effects that can kind of take you out of a place. Um, I think it stands beyond that, but that is certainly one of those through lines in his work that always, always uh, makes me a fan of looking forward to how he treated his actors in the, in the ensuing film he's working on. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Yeah. So I've not seen 
Egger's work. This is the first one I've seen. And it was something I was, I remember being really intrigued by when it came out. I just never got around to seeing it. And I think where I'm at with this film right now is like, it is such a wonderful stylistic exercise. Mm-hmm. And also I feel like it is almost an hour too long. Like this is <laughs> a, this, this is a uh, very, like the way it feels to me is it's very, it's very tight uh, short story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like right as the film is beginning to really get rolling and take off, it just kind of keeps going. And so that was kind of my my one issue is that it kind of seemed wedged into like the feature length uh, mold in a way that I'm not sure served it well. Mm-hmm. How about you, Kato? Um I'm trying to remember what the circumstances for this were, but I remember seeing it pretty early in streaming and but this was 2019 so it couldn't have been that uh i was thinking for some reason for some reason this was tied to the pandemic as like i watch a lot of movies at home that i might have wanted to see in a theater before and i guess i might have just missed this one on accident but the first the first time i like saw a trailer for this movie i was immediately like super interested just from the the format of the Mm -hmm. of the film right being in a square format really evoking a lot of like medium format photography and things like that, that it just had a very like striking look, even just from the trailers. And so, um, yeah, I like remember watching it. I think it was just like, as soon as it came out on streaming, like I, I sat down to watch it and I really enjoyed it. Um, but that was back in 2019 and I hadn't forgotten how much fluid there was in this movie. There's a lot of wet. There's so, a lot of wet of lot various kinds. Of, yeah. There, I don't know if I just kind of blocked some of the wets, some of the gooier wets out Oil, of my memory. Kerosene. <laughs> alcohol. Parentheses traditional. Alcohol. Parentheses non-traditional. Monkey punch. I guess. I guess. Uh, Cistern slime, powdered Ooh. cistern slime, blood, a, a, a little bit of cum. Mm. A, I don't know if a, a little. Sure, I'm not sure when we graduate from a, oh, more or less than what was in the Green Knight. I think it's. I think it's less. more. There's a lot pretty powerful from that. So the thing is, they kind of split the difference because like, they're like, is it sea monster goop? Yeah, at a certain point? that's true. Because yeah. you start seeing a lot of stuff dribbling out of the top of the lighthouse mm-hmm. and you're like, what right. the fuck? And there's Ruin grunts the associated <laughs> with it, but we don't yeah. necessarily get a, a clear picture. There's only one time right. where in the, you put on the captions and you see an audible, like the captions saying thumping. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's what that is. Yep. Um, but yeah, Kata, I actually, uh, am I the only person who saw this like in theater? Patrick, did you see it in theaters? Uh, no, I wish this is, this is, uh, this film is definitely one I wish I had seen yeah. on the big screen. I, I, I was also cursing the fact that you cannot stream it in 4k cause it, it just damn, like everything about the photography of this film screams to watch it in the, the best fidelity possible, but it will get me to buy a 4k Blu-ray <laughs> of it just to. Just to have it and in a dark, it's gotta be no in a dark there. room. There's not. You gotta be. No, I looked this up. Fuck. Like the, this is, it's like a top of a lot of people's lists for like things that need to be on 4K. Uh, Ren, I'm so curious. There's actually yeah. a bunch. If you saw in theaters, I'm, I'm yes, really I curious. 
the initial shot of the boat coming through the mist Mm -hmm. streaming kills it like it cannot like there is no like streaming cannot handle it and i'm curious if it scanned well in the theater it's or if it also looked like it broke up it scanned fucking incredibly like okay so for my experience watching this movie was if i'm remembering correctly a friend was like, let's see this. I didn't look up the trailer. I did not go in with any <laughs> preconceived notions. My friend, she was just like, let's go see The Lighthouse. And I was like, sure, I'd love to see a movie with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And I went to it. And I remember sitting down in the theater. Uh, it going f- like the the overwhelming black that the movie opens up with. Uh, before the like the it's boat a starts long pause. I thought in. like I might have lost the the the, the stream. I was like, <laughs> is something fucked up? You think it's fucked up until you hear the foghorn, which is just this like horrifying wail at like the back of your head. Which like in a theater with like a theatrical sound system, hearing the wail of the foghorn <laughs> is like one of the more like immediately unsettling experiences I've ever had. Uh, and then, yes, Rob, the 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 boat slowly emerging through the fog uh, scans extremely well in a theater. And from, like, that moment forward, I just, like, the, the whole movie is just, like, a blur to me on my first viewing because it was just, like, such an overwhelming, um, like, such an overwhelming experience. Uh, and I'm, like, really glad. And, like, afterwards, I talked uh, with the person who I went to see it with for, like, probably two hours. Like, prob- probably two hours just, like, sitting in a car with her. Uh, because, like, it leaving that theater felt like someone threw a flashbang in my face. Well, there's, uh, there's just so many, like, do you remember when? Yeah, I do. Like, oh, what shit. Was, you know what I mean? Like, and, like, the moment you bring up one, one big, like, leads to the mm-hmm. other. And then suddenly you've mm-hmm. talked about... 10 different moments that you have forgotten occurring in the film, which was what wonderful about revisiting. It was, you know, of course the things like the farting became sort of like one of the, like kind of memes that sort of like was built out of this. This, this movie's very memeable. There's a lot of great like gifts that have come out of the lighthouse. Probably it has been better exposure through its internet sharing than it has actually been in terms of people who have seen the movie, but then mm-hmm. revisiting it does really remind you how strange and how compact the strangeness is over the period of, of its nearly two hours. It's also weird how the movie is basically two films, right? Like, yeah. I think, and I think this speaks a little bit to possibly Rob, your disconnect with the kind of second half of the movie is like everything leading up to, uh, you know, his character leaving after being there for a fortnight, being there for a month, and then like waiting for, for the boat to show up and take him away. Like, it kind of feels like, I remember pausing and being like, this movie isn't over. Like, it can't be like 10 minutes away from being done. And then there's just a whole nother movie that happens. Mm-hmm. That is a bit of the more supernatural, uh, you know, Lovecraft adjacent sort of stuff that is sort of occurring. But the movie actually feels like it is reaching a natural climax, and then, as you said, keeps going. And then your mileage may vary on how you feel about that ensuing hour that takes place. I mean, I, I think that personally, I love the second hour of this movie in terms of like, it, and because of this exact thing that we're talking about, Rob, where it's like, oh, cool, we're at the end. And then the storm hits and like the way that time just completely falls apart in the second half of this film as Wake attempts to gaslight Winslow into not knowing how many days they've been stranded um, on this like lighthouse station. To me, it like feels that way, right? The film is like successfully doing an affect regardless of whether or not like 
I like it, which I do, but like I do think it is successfully doing an affective thing of making me forget how time works. Yeah, I guess the the thing for me is it doesn't feel like it's really a gear shift uh, in that second mm. half. Like the entire film has been about which of like who here is which of these guys is the unreliable narrator? Which of these guys is like are like has already delved into madness? And the whole film has been like steadily watching their patience with each other erode. And so like when the when the turn hits, uh like all that works, uh, the sort of the descent into paranoia and them and then and then them turning on each other. But then we, I think, probably like linger a lot over that theme uh, mm. and to a point where like from for like this is where I guess my mileage varies. For me, it was like building to that explosion of like distrust and paranoia and reality fracturing apart was was awesome. And then we stay in that mode for a while. But I think for me, it also made the film feel kind of inert in Mm -hmm. that last hour in a way that the first uh, hour is not. But I do want to tell you one thing. So I fucked up and I watched this on Amazon. And now, you know, I do not believe in spoiler culture. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think spoilers are a thing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes things do happen (laughs) that are just unfortunate. I got up to pour myself a fresh beverage right as uh, Robert Pattinson was demanding he be called Winslow. Stop calling me lad. Start calling me. Don't just don't call uh, call me Winslow. And I hit pause and Amazon <sighs> does a little thing when you hit pause. <laughs> X-ray. X-ray. Fuck this. Fuck this X-ray. feature. It fucking X-ray. sucks. It spoils so much a, shit. <laughs> I just sent a little picture. Yeah. Uh, Amazon's X-ray feature tells you who are the actors playing what character. And Robert Pattinson having just say just just said, uh. call me Frame Winslow. Uh, there he is in X-ray vision. Robert Pattinson playing Thomas Howard. And... Now, admittedly, this is not as huge a spoiler as it might seem. Because I was going to say, because I don't think anything. Ab- still, I mean, I guess you could read the film as I mean, who knows from what perspective are these like split yada yada. But I, I, I don't know. I think it can be just the, the origins of this film are inspired by some uh, s- some actual like folks uh, in the 19th century. that were part of a lighthouse that happened to be two men named Thomas. One of them died. Nobody knows what happened. And then that's like. Mm-hmm. Those are the grains of the beginning of the story that is that is the lighthouse. And I think that is mostly just a nod to that. No, no. But I'm saying but I'm saying this. The movie just like hangs a big old like <laughs> like the X-ray thing is like he is yeah. not who he says he is. Yes. Like, oh, sure, he's sure, actually sure, sure. not like I he's can't. actually like telling he's claiming to be someone else other than who he is listed as in the script. And I was just like, fuck. OK, well, I, and now <laughs> the rest becomes, well, actually, maybe they're all lying to each other. Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, in that moment, I was like. Okay, well, I guess that is one that 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 is one uh, like shoe that's going to drop. I mean, this this I can't believe Amazon spilled the beans like this. Mm-hmm. I think that's I, I think that, the don't beans. be spilling your yeah. Don't don't do it. Why'd you do it? <laughs> why'd you why'd you, why'd you do beans? it? I, I for me, I mean, I don't know. I think that the 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 Howard the, Tom, the that his name is Thomas Howard. The the name itself is not is not like that much of a hit for me. But I just like. Oh, it's so good. I love the character beats in this movie. Um, the reveal, the way that the that scene is delivered, where um, 
Wake keeps being like, don't tell me this. Don't do not tell me this. Do not tell me the information you are about to tell me. Uh, and then uh Winslow or Howard just keeps going uh and keeps like convincing himself that he's hearing the opposite uh until eventually he tells this story that is a, probably a little bit bullshit. Um and 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 reveals this thing and then finally gives testimony to it in a slightly more sober state just sitting on the edge of his bed. Uh and I think that like the actual like narrative of these two men both of whom are ostensibly murderers uh who probably murdered uh the the their previous like person that they worked directly with is I think just like uh for me, the tension of figuring out which one of them is fucking with the other or which one of them is the dangerous one and then realizing that it is both of them completely and totally is like, I think that's why the second half of the movie really lands for me is is the is the reveal that like, no, 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 both of these people are the worst man you've ever met. Uh, <laughs> and they are going to unmake each other. I just think it goes on too long. That was my read. Um, this, I mean, I still adore this film more or less from top to bottom, but I do think the turn, like the accelerated turn that happens is 20 minutes too long. You yeah. know, it just sort of, there's just a lot of cool shots. Like the thing is I enjoy every minute of these two. I like, I'm, I'm appreciating them on the film on, on like a different levels as I, a film story mm-hmm. structure. Like mm-hmm. when I'm thinking mm-hmm. from that perspective, I'm in the Rob camp. Like, yeah, like this movie probably should have been closer to like 90 minutes. And I think it mm-hmm. would have been a more effective tale overall. On the other hand, if you were to tell me there's a four and a half hour cut of this film where there's just more of these two actors being weird <laughs> to each other, I, I would be sitting down yeah. to devour every minute of it because that like so much of this has like a play like atmosphere, right? Like it, it, it is just people in an extremely tiny setting talking to one another and that part is just the wild emotional swings the actors go through from scene to scene is just I cannot look away. And it's mostly on the second viewing that I found myself more in the Rob camp. Like the first I was like, wouldn't touch, wouldn't touch a, a frame yeah. of this. And on the second I was like, ah, you know, I'm not sure I necessarily needed all of, of the stuff that happened in the second half. But I enjoy watching these actors play off one another so much that I also I still wouldn't cut anything. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Patrick actually. I I would I would I'm I'm coming to agree with you that like yeah I think that I think that is where I'm at is where like I think I just like the I like I like watching Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson be freaks too much to yeah, be able to like. Yeah, there's such a dude's rock energy to this film, oh but it's God. also like what if yeah. dudes? But what if dudes in the in the in the throes of rocking turned out to be sad and okay. un, and no, unable if, to actually grab like I, they're. I agree that the film channels the energy of Dude's Rock, but I do not think Dude's Rock when I watch this. Movie. No, no, no. I just yeah, but like it, ha- it feels like it's it's sitting in that space, but it's like not these dudes. Well, no. Hold on. <laughs> so the thing is, so I had a little double feature uh, mm-hmm. in the last day here where I watched. Um, so uh, I have also I've been in the in the wake of the renovation. I've been left alone. Uh, MK's on a business trip, and after a couple of days, I was like, you know what this house needs. A 4K Blu-ray player. And yeah. so I, I Don't you have one on your PS5? I've heard the dedicated ones have certain advantages. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ. Rock. Rock. Dude, come on, bro. <laughs> what? No, like, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's always a new layer. 
all right, whatever. Just the man, a man gets so left anyway. in his lighthouse and he buys Jesus the dedicated Blu-ray. Right. So if you're doing I it for bought... region-free stuff, well, I guess 4K stuff are region-free by default, right? UHAD, yeah. UHAD is, uh Right. Okay. Anyway, uh, but then you can have people like uh, modify, or you can do it yourself to modify disc mm. players to make them region-free. But anyway, mm. uh, but no, I just, I just Anyone wanted, yeah, I was, just, I was curious to see. I've heard, I've heard <laughs> some good things about it, so I was just curious to see. Uh, anyway, so I was like, what's the first disc I'm going to put in here? Obviously, not a 4K uh, Blu-ray. I'm going to watch Master and Commander, uh, you know, which is just a, a real old Blu-ray. <laughs> but like that is so that's like a definitional like dudes rock movie. Right. Mm-hmm. It is like about warm male intimacy, enthusiasm for shared passions, uh, like and getting really into your own stuff and also like fun, like adventure, uh, you know, et cetera. That, that movie is just like dudes rock all the way through. And it's a boat full of dudes, and they're all rocking in their various ways. <laughs> Literally and emotionally rocking. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lighthouse is about, like, dudes needing to go to therapy and not. Or it's like, or more to be less, like, glib about Dudes it. would rather about, rock than go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, the thing is, like, there, it's, it's about, like, uh, isolation, really. And distrust. And, I, and there, there is a inherently like there's a there's a lot of this relationship that is like inherently masculine. But also there is a there's such loners that I do wonder even if you like like flipped the flipped the genders of the, of the leads. It was like two women in a, in a lighthouse thing. Both of these are such odd people that I find myself wondering how different it would be because they are both people who've like for their own reasons, completely withdrawn from the world and can't maintain a relationship with anyone uh, that is around them. So I I think the one thing I'll say here is that, like, to me, the reason that they have done that is so firmly and completely rooted in masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like why does um, Ephraim slash Thomas kill or let his, like, foreman die? Right. Like it is it is to have a very particular kind of power over this dude who has been exerting like a particular form of influence over him and like emasculating him for months and months on end. Right. Like that is what drives uh, Winslow to go here. Uh, What is what separates Wake from his family and like what leads to or if he has a family who fucking knows. Um, But like so much of the ways in which these guys are emotionally devastated little freaks for me is like rooted in a very particular version of masculinity that they are both taking to its logical conclusion um and then beyond it but that's i mean that's true i think like i broadly agree with that but i also think so much of pattinson is about like inability to well like he's he's basically been wedged into a series of jobs where he's like you know the 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 low the low man on the you know on the on the totem pole as it were mm-hmm, yeah uh and so like you know it is what what sets him off in the previous in 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 the lumberjacking job for instance to a degree there is like obviously there's like uh power dynamics involved but also it is the like question of um i don't know, workplace dynamics yeah. loom large here where he is just he is like when he sort of states what is his goal, why why did he choose, why did he come out to be a wiki, as it were? Uh, he, he says it's one of those jobs where supposedly the worse, worse an assignment you take, the more money you make. 
And if he does a couple of these runs, he will be able to buy himself a home and most importantly, an independent life uh, away from away from people where people can't tell him what to do. And in both of these in both of these roles, mm-hmm. he has been assigned. He has been given a supervisor who belittles, runs him down, controls him. Now, th- now the question is: is like is this actually true, or is this just like masculine pride that causes him to like see the stuff that comes with doing one of these jobs as a um, as an unforgivable slight? I mean, I also think that, like, the fantasy, even, is, like, so deeply and fundamentally rooted in, like, a version of American masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the fantasy he has is is that thing to me. And, like, why it ends up, to me, not super... Well, I mean, one of the questions I did walk away from this film with, to your point, was, like, does this movie believe that the relationship between Wake and... Like, the power relationship between Wake and Winslow facilitates abuse or if it is inherently abusive like if this if this particular form of work uh of like hierarchical work relationship is fundamentally abusive um and that was that is uh, that is a question i i really left this with um i think that's re- this this for me is where i sort of come into the question of like like if you did change it where it's like two women doing this job i do kind of wonder to what degree it is inherent to just the, like the nature of the work like to what like like something I was wondering is is Robert Pat- Pattinson's character like if you take him out of both of these contexts if you say like he just doesn't end up being in a logging camp with a sort of a Captain Bly like figure if he doesn't end up on this on this godforsaken island with this mean old shit kicker mm-hmm. is he is he going to be fine in the end or is he always just a ticking time bomb in any context he is in because like. That's the that's the other part of this, which is okay. So the stuff about like the flatulence, for yeah. instance, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Willem Dafoe is like constantly farting in this in this, but like it the the thing you realize and the movie draws this out really really well early on. It's not so much like you know people fart whatever. Yeah, it is the realization that he's going to be trapped with someone on this island for four weeks. And every single one of their little ticks, every single one of the little things that remind you of like, this is a different person than me. This is an other. You can see from the from the jump that just that presence is getting under Pattinson's skin. And that to me is like one of the things that early on you're sitting there just like counting down because you can sense immediately that he has no forbearance for this other person being here. You can't even, you can't even cheers, right? Like the movie, like one of its opening bits is just his inability to even participate. Maybe maybe he he knows he shouldn't drink. This is, this is the other thing is (laughs) he doesn't drink water to start. He drinks water to start. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 because he pours it out. Like he is not being given water initially. Winslow gives him, sorry, wake gives him alcohol. He then goes to pour it out and then tries to drink water instead. I but see no that was another thing I was left wondering here Patrick is is this also a cautionary tale about when someone tells you I don't drink really don't press that point because it could be the Pattinson on some levels like when I drink it speeds up like the countdown it it makes me like a more ornery angrier person like is that why he's refusing to drink because it does seem like one of the things that really begins to accelerate it accelerates both their intimacy. Mm-hmm. And their like hatred of one another. 
isn't he's isn't isn't that just ever. men though broadly speaking like my experience uh you know is that alcohol is frequently used by men as a social mm-hmm. accelerant to achieve yeah. intimacy yes. because they are broadly not taught how to find that without it like how many times are you know in college did you find yourself all oh, the way i had this like really interesting conversation with someone where you got on the other side of something heartfelt was at two in the morning with a drink. Um, you know, not that, that, you know, you can't have those things otherwise, but it's an accelerant. Right. And I think you can see, you know, you can see a through line between that broad sort of, uh, you know, a way of men talking to each other, um, you know, in an obviously <laughs> ex- exaggerated context uh, mm-hmm. here. But I think there's, there's a lot there too. Yeah. I think that like so much of this movie is to me is a movie about men failing to interact with each other. Um, and then the question is how much are they failed by things around them? How much is that mm-hmm. taught? How much of that is, you know, where they're grasping at intimacy because by being blackout drunk, it finally allows them to say the things they cannot yeah. get out, you know, otherwise, um, then who, whose fault is that? Right. Like, it, you know, Rob, to your point is, is Patton said a ticking time bomb regardless. And then like, or, um, you know, is it just sort of like a suppressed thing that gets accelerated by the, the alcohol, I think is a, is an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that one of the things I find interesting about, like, one of the things I find interesting about Pattinson's character is that like, it is a dude who realizes that he is the problem to some degree, like to some degree, he realizes that like, he is the problem, right? He did let a dude die and like, feels shame for that. And like, wants to get as far away from anybody as fucking possible, right? He wants to fuck off in the middle of the woods and never see anyone else again, both because he doesn't like being around people, but also because he knows he is the problem. And I think to some degree that is Wake's character too, but like, to me, like part of the thing about why this movie reads as about masculinity to me is that like the immediate response to I am the problem is not like I am going to like try and work through the problem. It is I can never be around anyone ever again. Total isolation is the answer to this, right? Like I am, I'm, I'm just too dangerous. I need to go isolate myself on this, on this little rock in the middle of nowhere. And like but, so much of like, oh yeah, please. No, 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 please finish. No, no, you're good. Uh, has has no one else seen Banshees of Inisherin yet? Mm-mm. This that movie is an incredible companion piece to The Lighthouse. That is a film, um, uh, essentially about two men on an island. In this in this case, uh, I think it's one of the islands off off of uh, Ireland, uh, in which there's nothing. It's just a pub and some farmers and. It's what does what does everyone do every day? It's the same people getting together, talking to one another because they have nothing else to do except deal with what's inside themselves and the immediate people around that they're going to see every day. Um, and the premise of that film is that one day, these two like you know middle aged men, but you know they're you know uh, in their fifties. One of them decides, I don't like you anymore, and this is after decades of being quote unquote best friends. Uh, in which mostly that is them getting together, getting drunk, and just sort of shooting the shit, but never actually achieving any sort of like emotional intimacy. And what happens when one person decides, I don't like you anymore, and the consequences of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot in that film that is is deeply connected to things that are happening here between what does it mean to be isolated with another individual where the only things that can distract you are things like the drink or work. And then when you're faced with the person staring back at you, what do you do with that person and that time uh, when mm-hmm. you have an infinite supply of it? Uh, and it turns out 
that's hard. And I think that would be hard even if these were normal, <laughs> well-adjusted individuals. When faced with a month of just being with a person with nothing else to distract but labor, uh, I think that would be a challenge even if uh, <laughs> even if these people weren't bringing a lot of emotional baggage with them. I think it is worth noting that only one of them is is uh, only has labor, right? Like, wake, wake is not like doing shit, or or he is insofar as he's like interfacing with the eldritch god of the lighthouse. But like, so much <laughs> of their relationship is to me about wake choosing to constantly heap labor onto onto Winslow and then never giving him like the satisfaction of interacting with the lighthouse with weight which which wake feels ownership over right I just want to fuck the light. He just wants to fuck the <laughs> light. Let, let Buddy, they will let me fuck the, fuck the light. light. Uh, oh, they let him. <laughs> uh, so, one thing I wasn't clear mm-hmm. was Wake. Wake was just a sailor, right? He's he's someone who, like, you know, due to injuries, you but used to like used to be a sailor, and now he's like landbound. Probably um, that's what he like said. The stories, but. One of the things that, like, one of the things that was occurring to me, I guess, you know, partly, I guess, from watching uh, Master and Commander, like, just before this, is Defoe's character runs this little light lighthouse station as if he's the captain of the ship and all the details matter. Like, lives are at stake, and that's why you've got to swab this deck and make it spotless. You have to make, you have to, you know, do all this, like, scut work to to make it, uh, to, to make this place function. And that's just not true in this mm-hmm. situation. Like one thing that was occurring to me as I was watching it is like he's like treating this like it's a ship because he misses his life at sea. But it's just fundamentally not. And there is not that much to do on that island. He is just inventing things for like the like he is both not helping uh uh Robert Pattinson with any of the maintenance tasks, but also he is you know, there's that there's that moment where he's calling him out for leaving a spot on the floor that Pattinson uh, will call him Winslow with uh, Winslow is like angrily denying that, that he missed. He, you know, he says, I, I did I, I did sweep him off the floor and Defoe uh, like uh, wake rants at him. If I you know, if I tell you, you're going to strip this place to the studs and you're going to you know shine every every nail to till it gleams, uh, then you're then you're damned well going to do it. And, you know, the weird thing is I was watching, I was just thinking that like discipline uh, that like, you know, board, like bordering or actually past the border, like tyranny makes some sense out at sea uh, where like the vessel is the whole world and that is your lifeline. If anything goes wrong with it, you're 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 doomed. And like Wake is creating that life still aboard this like on, on this island, even though he can't even though it's fundamentally just a different context. Mm -hmm. And this is part of like what makes it seem so arbitrary and abusive is that, you know, what's already kind of extreme out at sea where there are like immediate threats and the maintenance of the ship is, is an ever present concern becomes just absurd, um, you know, tyranny on this Island because so much of this work is clearly, not really of value, uh, or at least it is certainly not worth what 
uh, Wake is putting Winslow through. You know, for instance, the um, whitewashing the exterior of the lighthouse. God. And the you know it's not safe uh you know he's he's got old ropes he's got a uh you know an an ancient uh like like block and tackle uh you know pulley pulley set set up and it nearly kills winslow for no good reason other than by god he was going to make him whitewash that lighthouse yeah this is part of what makes me wonder if it is because if we like look at these, like even if we set aside like his his particular history, if like this is about a kind of relationship to labor, uh, and like a that is what like makes me wonder, like if if the the film is making an argument about certain ways of thinking about labor are fundamentally abusive or will will always result in this particular thing, um, which is what you know what you're saying uh, makes me think of. I, don't, I, I didn't pick up too much on that particular notion of mm-hmm. the the movie making an argument about sort of like labor relations. I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, there is the, the, you know, obviously the relationship between Pattinson and Defoe. I think it like broadly the movie is about identity and these these individuals relationship to their own labor as opposed to how that labor interacts between sort of like a managerial level. And and like because the, these two, these two, you know, I mean, obviously Defoe's character is you know by making his, yeah, himself his own little captain of this of this island and like, making all these little things seem so important because what else what else is he to do what else is he to do on like there are no books they aren't but, they aren't reading right and so you must create a structure for oneself uh to create a, a an idea of self-importance but it but i would say like the the labor relationship thing is defining for winslow at least oh for sure like when you know in when he's that first time he's in his cups and he starts talking about Winslow in the third person and it's your first and and Defoe even seems to pick up on like I'm hearing something I shouldn't this doesn't this doesn't match mm. but he's talking about like Winslow always always riding me and he doesn't complete the story but obviously it is him getting at this sense of back in the logging camp that he was constantly being ridden down, uh, belittled, et cetera. And I think one of the big questions, you know, that I, that I come out of this with is, uh, the a movie I thought a lot about as I was watching it was insomnia, uh, which is like maybe still Christopher Nolan's best film, mm-hmm. uh, in part because it's like his least high concept. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, it's a, in a lot of ways it's a suspenseful detective story. And what that's about is two detectives are called in to solve a, uh, really like Twin Peaks, like crime uh, mm-hmm. up in Alaska. And it's like Al Pacino and his partner. And the thing that they brought with them into the Alaskan wilderness is that back in the lower 48, like there are allegations that uh, Pacino's character has been a dirty cop and has been planting evidence for years and all his convictions, his life's work is mm-hmm. hanging by a thread. And uh, or actually, no, it's that the, like, there's one particular case that like the, that is at stake. This is key. There's one particular case that is at stake and that might make all his life's work, uh, you know, be vacated. And early in the film, as they are pursuing a killer. Al Pacino's partner, who is like a whistleblower, ends up dead. And it is ambiguous to like. Did Pacino kill him? Did he do it intentionally? And at a certain point, you just don't know. And crucially, neither does Pacino's character, which I think why that film works. And I think with with um, 
with Winslow here, I found myself thinking of that as well because like, does he come to this island already a killer? Or is it that he was so crossed up by his feelings of resentment and anger toward Winslow that when a workplace accident that could happen any place, any time unfolded in front of him, he feels morally implicated by the outcome? I think so much of it for me is the fact that like both of these men, if we if we choose to read them as as having done a murder, the reason that I think about this movie as being like in some way about relationships and like labor relationships is it's not just like these are two murderers. These are two people who have killed the last person who was in this specific role in their life, right? Like Wake kills his if we assume that Wake is did kill his second, he killed his second which is to say he killed his last Winslow. But Winslow killed his last Wake. And I am so, like, so curious. Like, why do you believe that? Because I like that's the other thing is I came away really uncertain about anything that Winslow thinks he discovers uh, mm. in that second half. Of we the don't film. see like, any. He, right. We see no proof. It, like we, he see, looks at a book. Well, he finds the head in the lobster trap, but that's mm. his POV, sure. which we already know right. is unreliable. Right. And so, like, there's a lot of, like, him ramping himself up, I think, to, like, for this fight to the death. Why do you think he's unreliable? Because, like, I will, I will, I will note that, like, Wake does consistently, like, actively gaslight him, right? Like, Wake lies to him constantly, constantly lies to his face. And in a way that is, like, that leads me to believe that this is just who Wake is. Right. Like this is this. They are both serial liars who are are tr- who are playing off of each other without realizing it. Like that is that is my read of these characters, which is why I think that, like, even if Winslow's perspective is compromised, mm-hmm. these characters like both in terms of like how they approach one another, but also like as like structural mirrors of one another. I, I I think that they're both the guy that they are, which is to say, like, that th- that is what their relationship is, is built on, is knowing what they did to the last person who was in this role in their life. When does the lying start? Because the, the first moment where I was like, this doesn't, this this has to be wrong, is when he's trying to pretend that they've been there much longer than they have. That mm-hmm. he's like, we who knows what, what time it is? And I was like, well, hang on, we know exactly how long we've been here. Uh, that was the first moment where I was like, is Defoe like gaslighting here? Mm-hmm. Were there were there other moments early in the film where like he's like blatantly fucking with uh, Winslow? Oh, well, it's all th- it's all throughout their work. Yeah, like, you could, like you could assume that the 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 first confrontation about the floor not being mopped, even though he said mm-hmm. he had mopped it twice, is part of that. And like the the shot is quick, but it does show you a floor that looks like fine. It doesn't seem like he's he's pointing down at the ground. You see it for a split second, but there's nothing obvious that he is pointing to in that in that moment. Um, so like it re- that's like really early, right? Like that's like 20 minutes into the film. Like it, it feels like it's been throughout that he's just been doing it in small ways. Right. It's also like the thing with the kerosene drum, right? Like there are so many moments where. <laughs> Wake will omit information or instruction and then punish Winslow for whatever happens. That's what we're finding. Like this question of like reliable, like visual narrator in some ways, because we're always Mm -hmm. in uh, Winslow's perspective. Like that shit he pulls is like cruel hazing bullshit where it's like, 
I'm going to make you haul the giant drum of kerosene up mm-hmm. to the lighthouse. And then once you've done that, I'm going to be like, you fucking idiot. Here's the little can that you're supposed to bring up. Uh, now, now bring it back down. And that's like, yeah, that's that, like that's that's, that's abusive hazing stuff that but like the thing it doesn't cross into is like fundamentally disagreeing about like or or misrepresenting what is reality. And this was the this was the part like like in the second half of the film where I was really unconvinced that increasingly anything that Winslow thinks he knows or any revelations he has are founded on anything other than like a deepening paranoia and like increasingly uh, severe, like delusional visions possibly brought in, brought on by the, uh, Oh dear, we're out of alcohol, but surely we can make a fine beverage out of this kerosene. <laughs> God. Yeah. I guess hmm. I'm, I'm Patrick. I'm really, I'm really curious as to like where you come down on how reliable, like who, Patrick, who do you think is lying to who the most in this movie? I will answer that after a quick break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Patrick, mm. which of these characters do you feel? is is lying to one another or lying to one another the most the bigger question i have is i i don't know how much you can trust defoe period because i don't know how much defoe can trust themselves right like if there is a if we're to take the lighthouse as Mm -hmm. some sort of entity that has an unspecified amount of power or draw like it is it is not clearly sketched out or defined but you know Certainly seems like it rots the brain, and Pattinson has only been here for if we at least a month, right? Like at least mm-hmm. a month, like where things seem re- relatively reasonable um, from his perspective, where time seems to be passing. At, a, at, at I think he's his interpretation of time is at least reliable up until the point where the storm hits, right? And so a month. And then pretty quickly, things go south as the the storm comes in, and I think even at that point, both both characters become unreliable in different ways, and so mm-hmm. I I find hard pinning down how much I make of anything of Defoe's character because I think it could easily be a, a completely war like are there individual details that are probably about this man's past? Probably. Do I think it's in any order that could be considered? Uh, like rational, logical, or is it just, is this a person warped from a decade more of like being next to this mysterious power source uh, that, you know, corrupting is probably a way of putting it. So my guess is that it has to be Defoe by default just because of the other things occurring on the island. And then it becomes a question of how much is, you know, once we move into the, to the second half of the movie, which is very much from Pattinson's, like perspective 
how much can you even rely on what's occurring there? The camera is always kind of going from him to Defoe. And it's like at that point, I kind of throw my hands up on whether that's reliable either. And I don't think the movie cares that much on on where that scale sort of ends up, um, all told. The um, there's another movie that uh, this reminded me of. It's a God. I think it's a I think it's a Russian film. Uh, it is called How I Ended Last Summer, which is about it's like this, but like grad student. Uh, so it, that is a <laughs> film about a student takes a summer job like at a weather station up in the Arctic Circle, and his only companion is like this old scientist. Uh, and the guy seems brusque. He seems secretive. And over the course of the film, the student increasingly becomes convinced like this guy is maybe, uh, murderous and, and dangerous. And it becomes like the sort of cat and mouse, like battle for survival, uh, in this like remote isolated, uh, like campsite. And I think one of the other things that, you know, is, is at play here is that, um, you know, we've been talking about the, the workplace dynamics, the, the labor aspect of this, but I think there's also the, like, just the geography of like this level of isolation where Mm -hmm. your entire world is like constrained to the small little patch of patch of land. And your only companion is this one person with all their unknowable things. And like, you know, bits and pieces of themselves. And once that thought occurs to you, once that suspicion begins of is this person, is this person playing with a full deck? Is this person dangerous? Does this person mean me harm? The lack of ability to retreat, the lack of there being any sort of third party or like promise of like adjudication or justice or accountability. The fact that it is just like, we're out here alone. And the minute it begins to occur to one of them, that this might be a like kill or be killed situation. It's done. The like the just that just the minute that that moves from idle thought to like seems like a pretty good probability. Uh, like that is kind of what sets the inevitable in motion uh, because it is it is from there that like everything is just going to become like be escalating toward uh violent resolution. Do you, do you think that um, Winslow kills wake without the ledger, like without seeing that the logbook has him being docked into the ground? Because like, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Like I, I, I am not so sure if that, if that happens, which is why I think like, which is why like the labor, uh, like side of things, like stands out to me so much. Yeah, I um, the, like the, this is kind of what I was sort of from the beginning. I'm just not sure to what degree. Like, does this all play differently if Defoe isn't such a bastard to mm. uh, Pattinson's character, right? If, if if there isn't that level of abuse, but ultimately it is the ledger that kind of sets things off because it is the ledger that truly reveals, uh, if not. Not gaslighting. It's more that um, the moments of intimacy and warmth they've shared have been hollow. That like for all those moments where Wake sort of says, "Ah, you're a good lad. Uh, you know, you'll be a you'll be a good wiki yet." Uh, 
in the, the, the logbook, he's saying this guy should be dismissed from the service. He shouldn't be paid for any of what he's gone through here. Uh, he's, he's, he's burying him uh, like metaphorically. And the flip of that is the food, right? When, when Defoe, like his, probably the most emotionally intimate moment in the film is when Pattinson insults his food and says, but you know, you like me lobster. lobster. (laughs) Um, And you can tell that is a man. (sighs) That is the closest we get to the inner soul of whatever that character is, whatever state they're in as a result of having been in this place. Like, the closest we get to truth, an emotional truth of that character, is when he asks about the lobster. Um, and what's interesting about and all that is like essentially their drunken escapades are. Rob, you mentioned, you know, these characters have no one to talk to. They do. There are four characters in this film. It's just that when they're sober, they're a certain yeah. set of characters, and when they're drunk, they're a different set of characters. And so, you know, there are moments where actually in that sequence where Defoe is offended. Um, at the insinuations about uh, uh, the food, that is where Defoe is not sober, but he is is clearly that Pattinson is in a different state of <laughs> anti sobriety, and that Defoe can speak clearly and like get in touch with their they, they can feel upset and, and emotional over the food, and it is almost as though at that point, like daytime Defoe is talking to nighttime Pattinson, like drunk Pattinson, and those characters are having a conversation. Uh, that is different than the way the movie is loosely structured, which is them having these two characters in the day when they're sober and then a different set of characters who interact on a different level uh, when they are extremely intoxicated. That is a that that is a good point as well. Uh, certainly the, the divide feels uh, like much more pronounced with D- Defoe's character. I think something that maybe does tie the the two halves together, though, is that. And this, I think, it contributes to sort of the, the the eeriness of this of this film, and it comes out in that speech that he he gives when he he's finally had enough. He's he's been insulted enough over over uh, his food, and he calls down a prayer and a curse. On, oh, it's so uh, good, Pattinson. And it's just like throughout all this, like you know, this is these are both. Uh, what's the way I put it? Like. These are both like in some ways guys who would have like fit the mold of like the classic leading man, but who are such who are actors that are so interested in eccentricity and strangeness uh, in film and in, and in performance that they both are like giving their careers a really unusual cast uh, mm-hmm. from from the direction you might have expected both of them to go. And uh, obviously Pattinson's at the earlier stage of that, but like that speech that Defoe gives is this Shakespearean delivery, but fundamentally of a pagan prayer. Mm-hmm. And this is the, like, you know, they, I think it's early on. Uh, there's sort of that question is, are you a praying man? Are you a Christian? And the understand un, unstated assumption is of course, we're all Christians here. And uh, you know, as, as uh, you know, Win- Winslow sort of, says he believes in you know he's god fearing if not necessarily like a practitioner but defoe's character you know when the chips are down is not a christian uh defoe's character worships like eldritch gods like yes it's triton but more more than that he worships like the primal power of the sea right 
And so like when he is affronted in that way, that is in some ways his mask off moment, which is that I am sitting here not as like a lighthouse keeper, but as a priest of an occult religion that like you didn't know about. <laughs> you not know what you now. trifle with. Yeah. yeah. And like you get like the like the 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 moments of the toast, it's like the the surface of the iceberg. But I think it is in that moment when he calls down the curse that you see the whole thing. And so I think that's that's one of the other things that's at play here is that day or night, I think the the part the 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 through line for Defoe's character is that his entire moral universe is defined by the sea and its ways and its secrets uh, and its corruption. And does the movie actually disagree with him? Like, that's one of the things that I left wondering, because like, boy, it sure does seem like like killing that gull has 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 consequences like like the film frames that action as having immediate consequence on the world um there's I think also, about the ways in, mm-hmm. i was just gonna bring up really quickly that even before that there's the moment with the with the um the figurine in the bed right that's this that's his first mistake you fucking find an omen somewhere that somebody put somewhere on purpose. Don't fucking touch that omen. Don't fucking move that figurine. You're gonna curse like your sexy little what omen. What if the omen's it's a sexy though. little omen? <laughs> and, and don't and don't. You know what, you Kyle? Don't you're fuck right. With the omen. Don't mm. one. Don't. What fuck do you want to fuck the omen though? Well, that's the, this the is, omen. We saw wants. how that went. Well, we saw how that <laughs> we went, Patrick. Didn't, didn't we? Well. <laughs> this but is something else I was thinking as I was watching this. Is like. Man, this guy just needs some like dirty magazines. Like this is another <laughs> thing that changes this. Like, he doesn't find the logbook, uh, and if like he has a few issues of jugs or something, <laughs> uh, that like because it is it is partly that too that like hey here here's an odd little uh, here here here's an odd little like omen or a, what's what's the word like a uh, uh, the, a votive fig a figure a figure a yeah fetish, like a, a, yeah a fetish yeah. 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 Uh, like a like a like a votive figure, I guess is, the, is maybe the way I put it. And he's like, oh, but I'm so. <laughs> like, this is the only depiction of like the female form that yeah. exists on this island. So I'm gonna uh, I'm, work I'm with gonna, what you I'm got. Jerk over it. Yeah. Well, he has like nowhere like, to put his energy, right? Like right. he is this bottle of like from the opening frame. It just feels like he is bursting at the seams and has nowhere to. To place it, and I think that's where you end up seeing, you know, moments like that. It's just like he, to 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 your point, Rob. If he had somewhere else to point those energies, not even just necessarily sexually. I think just him, like he has nowhere to point himself, and like that's why it ends up spiraling in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, but also, I do think that like part of their, I mean, like their relationship is very obviously borderline sexual at times, right? Like they, there, there is a an intimacy in certain moments and like the way that the camera lingers. Like for example, when uh, Pattinson literally watches um, uh, Defoe's character jerk off, right? Like he is, that is like a thing for Pattinson's character, right? The way that the camera like holds on that for a while to me is like, it is yet another point where these two people literally cannot interact with one another or cannot like bring themselves to interact with one another in like a way that actually produces real intimacy. And so instead, it gets channeled into this, like, 
hyper-feminine, but, like, simultaneously monstrous idea of, um, like, sexuality, which I, th- I, th- I, think, is, I think is really interesting. You know, it culminates in that moment where because they finally gotten drunk enough and they've been around each other long enough that like the, 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 the touch starvation that they've both been mm-hmm. laboring under gives way to them slow dancing together. And they have that moment of like, Oh, they're about to kiss. And Are then we about it's to time kiss to fight. right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's time to brawl, uh, in, instead. And the, and the reveal is so good. The, the, reveal, like the way that they push off of each other and then like Pattinson slowly brings his fists up into like a guard. And then it cuts to wake. Who's like, actually actively getting excited about the idea of doing this stupid fucking fight because like that whole fight to me is like them trying to have literally any moment of like connection or intimacy and they're like this is the only way we know how to do it and so we're gonna have fun punching each other in the ribs for like the next like half hour um that's the segment of this movie that is just dudes rock (laughs) that's dudes rocking for sure (laughs) i I will say i watched this movie uh with my girlfriend who was also like doing work at the time uh and was was like did not pay attention to the entire first half of this movie uh which led to her being very confused in the second half before eventually falling asleep but (laughs) that moment uh was one of the few moments that she was like fully cognizant of paying attention to the movie. And I just want to say, I like, I like the idea of getting that version of the lighthouse where it's too, just like, it's just the video of the guys hitting each other with a chair, yeah. you know, the lads just hitting the lads. each other with a chair. <laughs> Give yeah. us a kiss. Yeah. Give us a kiss. <laughs> uh, one thing I do want to, uh, if you were curious, they should check out uh, the interview that they did with the cinematographer, uh, Jaron Blaschka. It's uh, over at American Cinematographer, uh, where you know he talks extensively about like, so why does the movie look this way? And there's a few things that go into it. They talk about uh, you know having to fight the studio a bit to get this presentation, like this this format, like that we're going <laughs> to do it in black and white. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, it is black and white film. It is not like a yep. shot digital color and then like. Uh, reproduced or converted to black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing that they kind of get into is it, it, they couldn't just use uh, black and white film. They wanted a particular type of stock, uh, which is apparently a bit insensitive to certain parts of the spectrum uh, as some old film stocks were. And so it won't react to certain colors and it will mm-hmm. create these like really exaggerated high contrast black and white shots uh, where, you know, if you watch like black and white films from like the 50s, there's a lot of like gradiated gray uh, mm. th- throughout it. Whereas here, so much of this film is just uh, like pools of pools of darkness, odd, like just a, just an odd like capture of mm-hmm. uh, this, this weird reality. I mean, it looks alien. Like that's one of my first notes from the from the notes I was making last night is that like they make this rock not only be like, oh, this is an isolated place, but like a- actively alien in terms of like the way that like color works here. Uh, that the missing color is red and like, which is also like a pretty key undertone in human skin uh, and the ways in which like human skin expresses emotion uh, is is like, you know, if, the, if either of these dudes blushed at any point, we have no fucking clue because like the camera is not going to capture red in that way and i think that like 
I, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Um, also, the fact that they used a vintage lens in mm-hmm. addition to this very particular. I mean, like I think that like from a technical perspective, this movie's fucking incredible. Yeah. Like abs- absolutely astounding. You have to watch the Northman, which I don't think is. A, nearly as good a movie as The Witch or The Lighthouse, but imagine Eggers and sort of this commitment to like these like little details. But then for some reason they gave him eighty million dollars to do this like Viking <laughs> epic. Like it doesn't. The movie makes Hell no yeah. fucking sense. It made no money, but it is perfect. Why? Like if if you do nothing else but to watch Sarsgaard's like pillage sequence, which is like this big one take. Like it's unbelievable. The Northman is, I like it more, the more distance I get from it. I, I was a little mixed on it and watching it. <laughs> There's a volcano fight at the end. If you need some more incentive to watch that film, but it is the two spectrums of a movie that like, I'm sure it wasn't cheap, but that like certainly does not necessarily gesture at scale for the sake of gesturing at it. in, in the way so many films do. And then someone that takes that in te- sensibility and then works on like the biggest canvas possible. Um, he does these in back-to-back films in ways that are tr- truly astounding to watch. Uh, one note that the uh, American cinematographer piece also has is that and this should have occurred to me, but but didn't. Which is that like, so yeah, obviously the uh, 1.19 aspect ratio calls attention to itself, but also you're making a movie about a lighthouse. Uh, it actually behooves you to have a relatively vertical frame. Because if you think about it, if this was like in a 16 by nine format or something like how wide the shot would have to be mm-hmm. to pull the lighthouse fully into frame. At which point the thing like dominates visually the film much, much less. And it becomes more like the Island. Yeah. And I think like the visual domination is like one of my favorite parts of like the actual like framing of all of these shots. Because like, the other thing I really love about this film is that like, from like a cinematography standpoint is the way that like it, we we've talked about this movie as occasionally like play like at times and there are moments where the foreground and the background are so clearly disconnected from one another in terms of like where things are happening or like the depth of field is such that like it feels like the this film is suddenly on a set like that, like you are watching a foreground shot, and then the background is this other, even painted, perchance, like perhaps, and like it's it's so cool. It's it's like a visually really really striking. Well, and the lack of a wide shot also means I've seen this movie twice. I still couldn't give you a real specific sense of the geography of the place or even how big it is. Um, you certainly get the sense of like it's small. But like, I don't know, he's going to get those rocks and that seems like a pain in the ass. Like, you know, like, like <laughs> I never, after you know, watched it twice, still have just no sense of how big or small that place is. And I think that's on purpose. Like, well, it Yeah, is, it feels like the dimensions dilate. Like, yeah. there are times it feels like he basically go like he has a short walk between uh, the shed and the lighthouse. But then there are those moments where he is carrying... Uh, yeah, like like rocks or I think like coal, coal wheelbarrow yeah. through that long trench. And seems it seems like he's like been going for miles. For like, yeah. <laughs> and this is part of for me, like what the foreground background work does is it like makes these things feel like they could be any distance apart because they feel like totally separate spaces. Um, 
but one is always dominating the other. And it is the lighthouse, right? The lighthouse in the background is perpetually dominating like every part of the island. When the lighthouse is not on screen, you should be asking, where is the lighthouse? <laughs> um, in reference well, you get to truly camera. unsettling moments like um, the shot of the lighthouse at night with Defoe just standing spread eagled oh in God. front of the light. I love it. Which is so troubling in its weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it, it like, you know, the, the and that's, that's part of the, like, the fun suspense of this is at first you're thinking which of which of these characters is the danger here which of these yeah. characters is like going to succumb to madness mm-hmm. and it's that when you start like it's we realize like this is a coin flip right this is <laughs> like the, these are both like really disturbed people yeah and that moment of just like again the unknowability of what Defoe is up to up there uh, coupled with the fact like you know he won't let he in contravention of the the rules and regs, he won't let uh, Winslow anywhere near the light. I was gonna say the the oh sorry, Cotto, please. I was just gonna say that I, I, that that shot that you're talking about, Rob. I really um, love how it's mostly a, a shot of looking at Pattinson's face and seeing the every time it swipes by the the light casting the shadow of the figure of a man in the light uh you get like a split second of it actually looking up but it is mostly passing and the 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 light circling and it being like him just yeah it's 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 an amazing shot pattinson who is by the way fucking terrified like 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 pattinson is absolutely terrified of Defoe in that moment. And the way that, like, when Defoe finally turns around, Pattinson, like, skitters behind the wall and, like, slowly slinks down in, like, abject terror. It's, 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 it's really well done. But also, like, to return to the regulations for a second, Rob, which you, which you mentioned a minute ago, this is part of why I have the read of Defoe's character that I do, is that, like, he is creating situations to put, uh to force uh, Winslow to break regulations. What, I, what, either as a like emotional thing for him, where like he has to have possessive control over this light, like he, regardless of if it is of religious import to him, he needs control of it like as a human being, right? And so he creates all of these situations where he is the person with complete and utter control of a situation such that he can force Winslow to break rules and then punish him for it. And like, that is where to me, like that is a, that is where the gaslighting begins to me. Of like, why'd you make me do that? Why did you, why did you do this thing that is explicitly against the rules that I forced you to do? Um, and why I read their relationship, um, the way that I do but also, like God, I the 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 shot of the lighthouse that really gets to me is, I don't think you can talk about like the way the lighthouse works as a as a thing in this film or as a light literally without talking about like the final the second to last shot of this movie where Pattinson is sitting in front of the light and it, it's like the film is burning in front of you like it is like there it is there is something so bright on screen that the literal film cannot handle it and is going to catch fire in addition to this, like one of the worst noises I've ever heard 
the way his wail distort, like his laugh and wail distort is just like staggering. And I have no idea what the fuck is happening in that shot. It's, it's, it's incredible. I'm not sure the filmmakers do either. And I think, yeah, yeah. that's the, that's, that's yeah. the point. It rules. Um, yeah. It's, it's really good. Can I read you this quote from uh, Defoe talking about working with Pattinson? Please. Uh, so this is from an interview with the uh, San Antonio current. Uh, talk to him about the dynamic we were able to create with Rob uh, on the set. This is Defoe. I enjoyed working with him, but I didn't know him at all outside of the scenes. We had very little discussion in rehearsal time where we actually talked to each other. It's only after shooting the film while doing press that I gotten to know him. We were working every day under very difficult circumstances weather-wise. Like his character, he tended to go off and be quite reclusive while I stayed on set to practice. He wanted to do things while the camera was rolling. That separated us, but it was actually beautiful because it was an absolute parallel experience to what happens in the movie. Um, which is just a really, I think, you know, you get that vibe in the movie, but then to know that that is actually the vibe on set and to just see kind of the difference between these two very serious actors whose approach to acting is, I don't know, like, I think Defoe, like, I don't know, his actual schooling and acting but very old school play like theater i think he seems more of a theater guy um and so i'm not surprised that's what his approach would be on set um and the fact that pattinson's kind of brooding recluse sort of vibe also extends to (laughs) how they operate on set is uh is is tremendous also you know robert pattinson history as a as a serial liar uh to 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 interviewers uh when applying for jobs uh, virtually every part of his life is is it's 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 really good. Uh, honestly, I wonder if like t- truly if Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are just the actual dudes rock version of their respective characters. <laughs> uh good movie. Extremely good movie. Extremely good movie. Um let's uh do we do we have any closing thoughts from everyone before we potentially shift to uh some questions just really good i don't know i mean like i think um the last thought i had it was related to uh sort of the four by three nature mm-hmm. um and it's something i appreciated uh rob i know you've been having some discussions over how close can you have a television to you at your desk and I, I think I warned you on Twitter. It's possible to have it too close. Mine is mine is too close for the size and resolution of of uh, like this. This is where I'm on, always looking for the 4K version because an HD version in my office. I had someone cleaning my house while I was going on, so I had to watch it in here. You know, it was taking away from the film because it was just too close. But there was something really intimate about the 4-3 shot in a film that is so focused on faces. Mm-hmm. Um that I just came to appreciate even more the second time around when I was less trying to grok what's going on in this movie and more could just focus on like the little details of the performances and just how often this movie just locks on to a face and that the format benefits, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like the way, you know, like how like television shows that were shot for three and like X-Files did this, like, it's like, oh, like they're just better if you just like could see everything and there's just nothing that would be better by being able to fill out the <laughs> mm-hmm. entire screen in front of me. It is accomplishing everything it needs to by locking in on the weird stuff that Willem Dafoe is doing with his teeth. I mean, um, and I just, I just wanted to see more of that. It's, it's an extremely claustrophobic movie. 
Yeah. In ex- yes. it, it, like in terms of like one, the like closeness to their face, uh, but also like the way the sets are like it, it, it feels like when you are looking at a room, it is the room equivalent of a close up of someone's pores. Like, like, a like, like a two, like a just too close shot where you're like, I feel like I am not getting the whole picture. I am not getting a whole enough picture of this room in such a way that like, I don't know what the fuck is happening in that corner. I know there's a corner over there, but I don't know what's going on there. Or alternatively, um, when you get the shots that are down the long hallway from the room that they seemingly eat in. Uh, and like, you know, the the living room vaguely, who knows, because the, again, you're right, the geography and like design of these spaces is completely fucking alien and like incomprehensible, except for that hallway. And that hallway is such a constant in terms of being this like strange space that I just, ugh, it's so good. I think that like the the almost square aspect ratio does so, so much for this film. Um, I, I really love it. Um, and on that, on that note, let's hop over to some questions. There's many that say the lighthouse is about one person. I believe that the script even starts referring to the characters as the young and the old. If you're trapped in an existential nightmare island, how would your younger and older selves get along or hate each other? From Nelson from Seattle. (laughs) Hmm. Well, they would look awfully similar to one another. I don't look much different from 16. <laughs> Dude, how do you think your 16-year-old self would feel about that? Would, that? The, the, they couldn't make the movie with you because then it'd be too obvious. No, I was I, I watched the, the Fablemans over the weekend. That The movie's got a the Spielberg film. Paul Dano plays the, uh, the the father. And that movie takes place over a, a period of time. And it's like, Paul Dano, you got a baby face like me, buddy. Like, you cannot be playing the father <laughs> Of a 17 year old, like you just don't, you just don't look it. And then I, at the end of it, I went, well, but I'll look that way too. So I guess I can't knock Paul, Paul Dano no, for it. You can't. Um, <clears throat> that does touch on, uh, you know, the, the thing that Defoe's character pulls out, which is the, how do you know any of this is real? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, how do we know that you haven't basically been hallucinating this entire excursion? Uh, you know, maybe you're still out there in the woods. Uh, you know, and, and just dealing with the ramifications of, of what transpired up there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as the, I don't know, it's like one of those things that's hard to contemplate, like, you know, the degree to which, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I've not necessarily changed that much. Um, so I think there would be like a lot of recognition, but I do think the part where, you know, you might start to see friction to the point of murderousness would be that like a lot of things get sanded down uh, as the years go on. And so I think there would have like, there would have been sort of a self seriousness and a flightiness uh, and just a tendency toward overreaction that I think is been tempered over the years but like i think if i had to actually encounter myself at age like 20 uh you know from the vantage of age 39 i think i become acutely aware of how different i am now uh i am compared to who i was mm-hmm. kata i don't know I- 
I feel like if we had some board games, we'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, that would you right lie? For you. How, how could you play a social deception game with yourself? With yourself? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to do one of those with just two people, anyways. But sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm now obsessed with the idea of playing a social deception game with only two people. Two people? Yeah. I'm sure Damn. someone can do it. I'm sure someone can design that. Board game designers of the world. How different this movie would have been if they had a bunch of magic cards. Yeah. That's then then they just have a little magic duel. There or you go. Or a second book. A second. Maybe like like <laughs> that's the other another shit. book. Yeah. That's the other shit is that like this shit could have been so easily resolved if either of these dudes had not been exactly the person that they are. Like here's the thing. If you put me on an island with someone for 4 weeks, I could do it. I would take a book. It's fine. It's fine. But could they? After that. (laughs) Damn. Damn. Oh, jeez. Damn. I'm just a little guy. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Rob. All right. Well, I can't really answer this question because I I don't got the range like that, you know? Right. I've gone back and forth. This is you're dumb fucking baby. You're just a little baby. That's, that's dork. That's Rand's version. You're just you're just toddling around. I'm a little toddler. I'm, I'm 22. You're just uh, ex- you, need, excuse you need baby me. formula. Hey, excuse me, Rob. I turned 23 over the weekend, and you didn't wish me happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rob. Damn. Uh. Well, you know, if only you had taken your birthday day off, then I probably would have remembered. Uh, excuse me, actually, I've already. I, excuse me, excuse me. I have already scheduled my birthday day off. Uh, Thank you very much. It's next week because we're busy this week. But you can't get mad at someone for not I'm on my your whole birthday shit. when you schedule your birthday day for a day to not be your birthday, and then they were on vacation. <laughs> well, now, like now my, you kill like, each other. It was yeah. like my birthday every day. I was like, ah. time for. If only they had a dedicated 4K Blu-ray player in the lighthouse. <laughs> if only, if only they brought. If only. Yeah, except will- that you're only upscaling DVDs. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! So that, that's where it does turn murderous. Yeah, gross. Look, this is oh, this isn't even a good transfer. I can't believe we got to do four weeks of this shit. Master and Commander in 4K. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got to watch that movie sometime. I've heard nothing but incredible things about it. I wish it's, it's a, bad. It's a great film. Next question. I've gone back and forth over whether The Lighthouse should be described as a horror movie. It sort of obviously is, but if I heard someone call it horror and then I saw it based on that term, I feel like it'd, be, it'd have been res- misrepresented. What do y'all think? From Anonymous. There was no name attached to this question. I'm with you. I did not feel like a horror film to me, despite the horror elements. Like, mm. like I don't know what is, what is the difference. I think part of it. So I guess okay. Not to obviously, I think there's exceptions. Like we're I don't want to get pulled down an entire definitional rabbit hole here. But to me, it's like <laughs> the suspense film exists in a space of like what is actually happening here. What is actually going on? I'm uncertain mm. as to what. Uh, like how the events being depicted are actually unfolding within the reality of the film. Whereas I think horror tends to be a little bit more like 
yep, there's like actually some like wild shit happening here. And now, you know, that could still mean they could still pull out that last minute, like, oh, it was all a dream or you were the killer all along type thing. But to me, like this feels so much more like a suspenseful character study that as it begins, as the characters begin to completely unravel, takes on a cast of horror uh, because they're becoming increasingly deranged on this island with one another. But it never feels like a horror film to me. Patrick, as our master of horror. I don't know. The horror bucket is, I mean, genres are hard. I I think like I I do agree with Rob. This is more of a thriller or suspense uh, film. I mean, it has like it's not spooky, right? You know, it's not um, it's upsetting. It's like it's anxious. I I don't know. That mermaid was pretty fucking spooky. Yeah. Do you hear that scream? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I would, you know, if I if I was forced to. Like give it a genre. I I would probably. I feel like when I say thriller, I feel like this is going harder than someone would expect from a thriller. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'd rather someone be d- yeah. disappointed that it wasn't more quote horror than it was like to be surprised. Like time to sit down with a taut thriller about two men on a island on a lighthouse and then to watch this. I feel like would be more misrepresentative yeah it is further from thriller than it is horror in terms of if i was to recommend it to someone or explain it to them um it's got enough of like eggers like horror sensibilities from from the witch it's pulling a lot from from that to, to a certain extent so i think it's more horror than thriller um at least in terms of you know, genre buckets. I mean, personally, I describe the movie's genre as like, ooh, yikes. Because <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that, you know, captures a lot of it. <laughs> gets, gets, I would love to watch an actual play version of it, though. Oh, like, God, yes. Um, I do truly think that you can, you could translate a lot of this just to a bunch of sets and it would be extraordinary to watch in, in person. And, and although... Defoe and Pattinson really define their characters really well. And in the context of the film, it's hard to imagine it being anything other than them. Like, especially when I was watching it this time, I watched it the first time without captions. I sort of liked that. I sometimes didn't know what the fuck they were saying. (laughs) Patrick, do Um, I have the question for you? (laughs) Okay. All right. Well then go, go ahead. Continue. So, uh, we had another question. I didn't actually put it in the, in the, in my little doc, but I have it ready. Uh Huh? Take that. Uh, there it is. Hey, Waypointers. Love the show in the format of my turn. I'm so glad y'all came around to discussing The Lighthouse. The first and so far only time I saw it was in a film festival screening with very poor audio quality. Oh, no. It was held fittingly in an old echoing Victorian theater hall. As <laughs> such, both me and the friend I saw it with really struggled to hear much of the film's dialogue. Nevertheless, we both dug the vibe so much that we decided the dialogue didn't matter. Now, maybe this movie is supposed to have audible dialogue throughout, and maybe my question makes no sense if the version you watched was actually understandable, but I would basically like to know if you think comprehensible dialogue would enhance or distract from the experience of watching The Lighthouse. For me, the film will always be inseparable from struggling to hear Pattinson and Defoe over the roaring weather, and I don't think I'd have it any other way. Cheers, Corliss from the UK. Yeah, the first time I watched it was... Without captions, um, I think it might have been because I had an 
early screener or something like that, like through like the Writers Guild stuff that we have. And so you frequently don't have access to all that stuff. I don't know that I would. I, I look back on that initial viewing with a certain fondness in the same way that uh, the person writing in does that. I think it's meant like the language being used, the way it is or isn't enunciated. I think there it does come across as having a certain intentionality of feeling a little muddy and that it's hard to parse what they're saying or that you kind of almost have to have like be really intently listening to figure out exactly what these characters uh, are, are saying. And so I don't think anything is really taken away by watching with captions, which is what I did this time to like more fully appreciate uh, and, and track the dialogue. Um, but uh, I definitely am with them on there being something about this experience feeling like it almost has a layer of Vaseline uh, to it where you're just sort of <laughs> what, yeah. what did he, what did, what did this? And that would also be something like I found myself rewinding quite a bit in this, like I was like, I got plenty of time to finish this for the podcast. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, I have to stop rewinding a scene <laughs> three times to like sit with the dialogue again. And there was something about that first time through where it was like, I remember turning to my wife and being like, what did you, did you catch what they they said? Like, no, not really. Like, okay. Like Sally Ford, like just <laughs> keep going. It's the combination of they're both doing accents in dialects that like aren't really spoken as much or more like I don't know if dialect is the right word but like they're speaking in a mode that people just don't anymore as much and so there's like they have sort of an archaic way of speaking uh in in a lot of places and so you have that plus them both like going deep into like the down the accent hole uh that I think exaggerates the Again, like the strange, the, the, the characters, I think, sound strange to us. They're also in two different accent holes. Like, that's that's part of the thing for me. It's like, I think that, like, if you're watching a film where two characters, even if you're not, like, familiar with an accent, right, or if you're not familiar with, like, a particular, like, dialect, if you start a movie and everyone's speaking the same shit, by the end of it, assuming, uh, you know, auditory processing disorders aside, you will probably be like, okay, I can, I can, I can grasp what these two people are saying to one another. Right. And I think that like part of the unsettling part of this movie is that like these dudes are truly from two fundamentally different worlds and like are talking past each other, both in terms of like the literal words that they are saying, but also in terms of like literal approaches to how speaking works. Um, I think it's I think it's I think it's really neat. But um, I don't think they're like unintelligible. Like no. I mean, the audio is very clean. And I think once you do sort of get caught up with their like style of delivery mm-hmm. uh they they scan much more neatly i think for me the part where um in in some ways when he gets most agitated and begins to blow up a bit uh pattinson you know as he calls as he calls defoe's character out for doing this captain ahab shit mm-hmm. uh like he begins to sound like a much more modern character in some ways the frustration boils over and it just turns into a from the shoulder rant uh mm-hmm. and because he's like he's less decorous uh you know prior prior to then he's uh speaking in i think a more stilted or formal or guarded uh mm-hmm. sense and like once like that gets broken through what comes out is much like more raw and unfiltered he also speaks in circles like not like circles but like he the way he he repeats the same phrases over and over again 
or or the same words like uh mm. you know you're a dog you're a dog etc cetera, et cetera, when he's like having like the breakdown uh and then eventually you know ends up putting the putting him on a leash but this is all to say that like he does have when you're right rob when he puts down his guard like he be- both becomes extremely parsable but also like begins like falling in on himself over and over again in a way that i find like really interesting as a character thing next question where should robert pattinson be trapped for our entertainment next conceptual prisons like what dc with like what dc is doing with their movies are allowed thanks joe what is what is your ideal pattinson (laughs) hyperbolic time chamber that will produce a weird little freak movie Wait, so is he there by himself? Am I with Pattinson in we're, this scenario? We're we're putting him somewhere, like in a in a world, right? We are we are taking mm. Robert Pattinson and saying, you are on an island. You are trying to uh you are a vampire trying to date this person. Like, what is the what is the what are we trapping You're Robert Pattinson in? I need to trap him in a Miller's Crossing-esque period gangster film. Oh, that's such Ooh. a good call, Rob. Ooh. That's such a good call. <laughs> the funny part is, like, as an actor, it feels like you almost don't need to come up with absurdist scenarios in which to put him in because mm. he is kind of dumb. The Daniel Radcliffe thing of, all right, did my time with the franchise. Like, I'm going to run away from that as fast as possible. And... Uh, constantly them doesn't need any help getting put into a weird little box. I still need because, to see the extremely well reviewed Swiss Army Man, even though it sounds like the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> well, that's right. Did you? It, I need to see that because I saw everything everywhere all at once. Adored that film. Did not see Swiss Army Man, which was the movie those filmmakers made prior to that. And is yes, is an instance in which they teamed up with Daniel Radcliffe and like essentially ride like a farting corpse. Or I think mm-hmm. Radcliffe is the farting is corpse. The farting Radcliffe corpse. is the farting corpse. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so it, it's almost like, in what space can I come up with something for Pat? And it's, in some level, it's just like, well, as Rob said, like, what is my personal genre yeah. that I want to see him in? Because <laughs> otherwise, Pattinson is just going to seek it out. It's almost like he did Batman as a fluke. Like, well, that seems like a weird thing to do. Time to go do that. Um, that and was constantly a fun finds little themselves. prison, though. The Batsuit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Finding- well, and also <laughs> like the, uh, oh, no, Bruce Wayne is a like character out of gothic literature right it's like <laughs> what if um oh god what's the uh what's the dude's name from jane Eyre? i can't remember but like uh what if uh what, what if the lead of jane Eyre like fought crime that's kind of that's kind of <laughs> how the that's kind of how uh like batman unfolds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rochester right kato um, yeah, I had a trouble thinking of a, a place that he hasn't been that I'd like to see him. I, Put I him mean, in a Wes they're, Anderson they're, movie. Man, I would, I would. he seems like he would fit that wheelhouse real well. And the same that, like, Defoe does, right? You know, like, there's just something about his box of acting that I think would work well in that specific mm. mode of filmmaking. Sorry, Kato. I, I, no, you're good. I, I was thinking of... Um, uh, I could be. I was kind of sad that he didn't take uh, Eggers up on Nosferatu because I would love to see him in the meta prison of being a vampire again and having to live that trauma. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
like that would have been that would have been great for me personally. <laughs> I don't. Th- I think this might be too close to Batman. I'm going, but I'm going to say it anyway. I want him to be a detective. I want. I want like. I want like bedraggled detective Robert Pattinson or like weird eccentric young detective who's like kind of a little freak. Uh, I feel like so I feel you're, like you put him like Elliot Gould route in uh, yeah. like long goodbye or something where it's yeah. like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Make that little freak solve a murder. <laughs> Didn't you see Nightmare Alley, the Del Toro movie from a couple years no. ago? Yeah. No. He would have been really like just swap yeah. out Bradley Cooper for oh who was fine. God. Fine yeah. in that movie. But I, uh, I actually think Pattinson would have oh, been incredible. That's fucking inspired. In Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That movie, that movie. Go watch a trailer for that. And that movie was okay. It was beautiful. I like, liked that I'm, movie. Not, I, I feel did, like it didn't did. get enough attention just because it was, you know, the middle of the fucking pandemic or whatever. Well, they like, threw that movie out to the wolves exactly, to just get exactly, devoured yeah. in a December. <laughs> that movie, like that was that was unfair to a filmmaker of that of that status. <laughs> yeah, like oh, you got to make your <laughs> fish fucking movie. Now your your expensive follow up is just going to be disappeared into the box office vortex. But it's a good movie. My my guess is actually everyone on this. Podcast would like that movie quite quite a bit. <laughs> hmm. 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 Oh, oh, what's wrong, Kato? Do you need do you need suggestions for some reason? <laughs> do you need movie suggestions for some reason, Kato? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't cool. know I was next. I didn't know it was next. Well, but yes, but you've had you've had almost two hours to adapt to this reality. <laughs> That's not Kato, enough time. You don't have to be also- a good pick. <laughs> this has got to be a pick. Yeah, it could be a dog shit movie. This podcast doesn't need to be good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Nightmare Alley would be a good one. I don't think it's related enough, though. Um, and the thing that I... I mean... The thing that I worry about with the one that... For some reason, the movie that came up when I've been thinking about this... Is yeah. maybe two. Yeah. Rob, Rob, Rob is going into like sicko mode with his eyes. Kato, Kato Rob what's wants you connection? to say it. Kato, what is well, what, the to connection? What? Is just it's it's mostly a visual one, and for some reason Great. I can't get this movie out of my head. But I, All right. I keep. I don't know whether we should do this. this is the, here's the issue I'm having right now. It's that it's a genre film, uh-huh. and it, it. I don't know. Fuck it. Whatever. We can do whatever we want here, right? We. <laughs> What if we watched Mandy? <laughs> wow! Let's go! But it's 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 mostly aesthetically connected to me in like the filmmaking style and the use Boy, of film tenuous. specifically. Um, and it's just like I can't. I, it's been stuck in my head. <laughs> So and I can't think of anything else on the spot, but it is pretty intense. I gotta say, mm-hmm. as far as the movie goes, also, like it does have a beloved character actor, right? Like it has a beloved well, character actor mm-hmm. at its heart. Yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously, fucking Nick Cage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a horror film with a beloved character actor at there its heart. There you go. <laughs> That's a connection. So I guess wow. we're going. I guess we're going there. <laughs> Fuck yeah! One of the all-time great soundtracks of the last ten years. 
Holy shit. <laughs> Yo, this movie's two hours. <laughs> you <Yeah>. have. Ren, <laughs> uh, I can. I know that you're not like are not bothered by spoilers, but and this is you can't really spoil this movie. Yeah. I could not suggest more highly to look up absolutely nothing about it and just Wait let this minute. movie wash over you. Wait a minute. Do I remember something about the way this movie works? You might remember it from the time we discussed it on Waypoints, where Waypoint Wait, friends discussed the art, entertainment, and culture that's been inspiring. Did I bring up Mandy when it came out? Yeah, we watched Mandy, or at least no like, way. Yeah, do we? No, we watched Mandy. God no, we didn't. No. no, we didn't. We did not. What we did? I did not make everyone watch. Yeah, Mandy. this is the thing. Is that I think I I saw it independently of whatever. Yeah, I watched. Yeah, I watched it completely separately with. I'm not saying we didn't uh, discuss no, it. I'm, no, I, no, I love Mandy. No, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the post right now. Welcome to a brand new Waypoint podcast. It, it was the first episode of Waypoints. Okay, but this was this was in Waypoints. The sites. No, 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 no. Okay, bring This you- is different. This is different. This is different from the everyone watches a thing and we talk about it. This was the. Now we're in a deep dive on Mandy. Yeah, I watched yeah, exactly. it and then it's brought Mandy it up. Time. Yeah, this was yeah. this was back when we were doing the show and tell version yeah. of Waypoints, yeah. mm-hmm. where everyone brought a thing. So right, that was my recollection. Of right. It. Yes. Right. Because no, I I remember I want I went to the I went and saw that in in theaters, not knowing that you would bring it up for the podcast mm-hmm. at all. Like that it was separate things. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know now what? we're doing it. I really like the fact that we we are returning to the literal first episode of Waypoints. <laughs> yeah, it like well, it starts a new cycle, right? It, so yeah, that's that's fun. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, wait, that's fun, guys. Mm-hmm. Come on, that's nice. All right, I am. I have a final question. Yeah, I have one final question to take us out on. <sighs> Please let this be in time. Question number one: You are creating a vile mixed drink. Named Monkey Punch. What do you put in it? <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I want it to be sour as fuck. Maybe I'm putting in like a bunch of sour, like um, warheads in it to like soak, you know? Yeah. Probably a vodka. I'm getting an entire bag of sour gummy worms <laughs> and just. Putting that in with some grain alcohol and seeing what gets made. Yeah. Get that acetic acid really mixed in there real good. (laughs) And alcohol is so strong, it starts to break down the gelatin and all of the gummies. Yeah, you have to drink it quick because otherwise the glass itself is going to shatter as a result. (laughs) That's a a monkey punch to me. I'm going to start like, I'm going to begin with all the way all like, terrible jury rigged cocktails do uh blue caracal excuse me and yeah no i mean oh curacao thank you all right um <laughs> i didn't go there but they're close enough <laughs> so that's gonna be that'll be one of because like people always end up with bottles of that but they never drink them because <laughs> it turns the drinks neon blue and it's like you know, it's you, you don't generally want uh, a whole bunch of that. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be that. And then other stuff you're getting rid of. So you're like, you're really desperate. I think it's going to be like 
you got absinthe because absinthe washes are often good in a drink mm. like but now you're just gonna have to no we need to get really drunk so we don't have the we don't have the equipment for sazeracs we're just doing absinthe uh the the blue uh curacao and then we are going to you know we got to put some we got to give this thing some legs so white rum vodka whatever you got it's going in <laughs> wow I'm stopping short of saying like you would be degenerate enough to put like Fernet in it, but like I could see that happening too. Is anything with Fernet in it degenerate? Like what is <laughs> that sounds too fancy to be degenerate. What is it even? Uh it is a liqueur that's like uh oh what is the way to, what is the way to put it? Um it's like minty, I guess is the way I would put it mm. but it, it isn't real like it's it's not it's not quite the right word but it does, like it, it like sits on the palate the way like a really intense peppermint does mm-hmm. ah. but it is distinctly not but it is another um one of those like challenge you to do a shot of this type drinks oh. can i mix anything with malort rob <laughs> malort can, I mean, it, can we combine with something? I feel like because Malort is Malort. We yeah. get to monkey punch by Malort being mm-hmm. paired with something. Um, uh, maybe it's too easy to get to monkey punch, but uh, Hawaiian punch is the thing that came to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just really mm-hmm. degenerate. I, mean, <laughs> I, had a, I had equivalents of stuff like that in college. <laughs> what did they call it? Oh, I can't remember. It'll come to mind. Th- it wasn't. It wasn't Hawaiian punch, but it was it was I mean, well, I guess it was fruit punch, which is basically Yeah. In the in the ballpark. I thought it was bad stuff though. I don't I don't know drink ingredients very well at all, because mostly I just drink things neat. And so I'm gonna have to just give it give a vibe for what I think monkey punch would be. You know when you like pinch a nerve and like your shoulder and you get like a jolt like up like right 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 up like the right up the side of your neck and it like really stings. Mm. You, you know that? I want that, but a beverage. <laughs> like I want, I want something that tastes how that feels. That's 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 what I'm looking for. I don't know what that would be, but that is the that is the affect I'm looking for. If I go to the drink sommelier, I say, "Give me a drink that feels like pinching a nerve." <laughs> All righty, that finishes out our questions. Um, and I am going to wrap the show, which I never fucking write. God damn it. God damn it. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Turn. You can follow uh, us at on Twitter. <laughs> the people know. Yeah, the people know. You can find our words at waypoint.zone. You can follow us on Twitter at waypoint. You follow us on YouTube <laughs> at Waypoint Vice. Rob's disappointment is palpable. Where you can the, where can people find the disappointed Rob Zachney on Twitter? At Rob Zachney. What about the bemused Patrick Klepek? At Patrick Klepek. What about the formerly panicked Ricardo Contreras? <laughs> at a underscore. I'm so panicked. I'm moving this week. I'm never not panicked. At a underscore Cotto underscore appears. <laughs> And Kato, next week, it is your turn. What are we doing? 
I mean, we talked about it, right? Yeah, I know, but we still do this part of the intro. We do this bit? Outro. Well, if you, if yes. you somehow skipped over the, the part where you, we announced it. Mandy. I completely fumbled the bag. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>